Welcome, men and women of the world. I'm Connor Beaton, and this is the Man Talk Show. This show brings together some of the best thought leaders, teachers, and extraordinary individuals to help teach and mentor you on how to be a top performer in life, love, and business. Now, if you notice by the title today, it is all about psychedelics. We are going to talk about microdosing. We're going to talk about heavier dosing. We're going to talk about psilocybin and LSD and MDMA and ayahuasca. <laughs> We're going to go on a journey today. So joining me is Mr. Paul Austin, and he is a social entrepreneur who educates individuals about the responsible and intentional use of psychedelics to catalyze personal transformation. His why is to inspire Western culture's adoption of microdosing as an entry point to collective transformation. And because of this why, he's founded two companies in the emerging psychedelic space. One's called The Third Wave, and the other one is called Synthesis. Currently, The Third Wave is the uh, definitive website on psychedelic literacy and education, reaching over 650,000 people per month with the information on the website. And they have been featured several times in mainstream media outlets like the New York Times, Rolling Stone, Forbes, and The Economist. Synthesis, on the other hand, is a psilocybin-based retreat center that, uh, that Paul co-founded in early 2018 and has facilitated high-dose experiences for hundreds and hundreds of individuals. So you can tell, you know, Paul has a, a really breadth of experience. Um, he knows what he's talking about. He's, he's spoken at a number of tech and business conferences like the Next Web, SXWS, Southwest by... Ah, South by Southwest. I couldn't get that out for some reason. I was like, SXSW. I know that it's South by Southwest. Uh, and Tech Open Air. So uh, so what are we going to talk about today? Well, we first talk a little bit about Paul's story and how he got into this. He shares a little bit about his experiences. And then we go into very practical. I wanted this to be as practical as possible. So we go into what microdosing is, what the benefits are, and a little bit around how to actually microdose if you are interested. Then we talk about larger doses. We talk about the differences between compounds like psilocybin uh, and and cannabis versus LSD. What the benefits are, you know, for things like MDMA and some of the research around all of these substances. So this is a pretty in-depth episode. Uh, we, we cover a wide variety of topics, and Paul is incredibly, incredibly knowledgeable. So if you enjoy this episode, please share it with somebody that you know will enjoy the content of it and, and that you know maybe somebody that's wanting to learn a little bit more about the uses of these. There's a ton of research that's out there. Uh, we referenced the John Hopkins University uh, a few times because they are doing some incredible work. They actually just recently opened up a, a facility um, in the United States, I, I believe it's the biggest facility for researching psychedelics uh, in the world. And so there are some really cool things happening with psychedelics. Um, obviously, you know, recently I went down to Costa Rica and experimented uh, with plant-based medicine. And so I talk a little bit on this about some of my experiences with psilocybin. And, uh, and in the future, I'll be talking a little bit more about my experiences with both psilocybin and plant-based medicine. Um, just to help out some of the people that are out there that are interested in exploring some of these topics. So without any further delay, please welcome Mr. Paul Austin. Thanks for having me, Connor. I'm really excited to, to dig into this with you. Likewise, likewise. Actually, one of my uh, friends and colleagues that looks uh, looks after, he's an admin on the uh, Man Talks community on Facebook, Tyson, recommended that 
that we connect and I have you on the show. And when I started digging into your work, I was like, absolutely. So today's going to be uh, a lot about psychedelics, which is great uh, <laughs> because they are pretty freaking awesome. So I'm excited to uh, dive into this conversation. But before we dig in, I have to ask you the question that I ask all of my guests, which is tell us a story about a defining moment in your life that made you who you are today. I'll paint the scene a little bit. I, um, you know, this was like early May in, in 2010 and I was 19 years old. I basically a week before had had my first LSD experience and it was a higher dose and it was with a bunch of friends and it was a beautiful experience. And after that experience, I went on a school trip to Tanzania and it was basically, you know, like I get credit for a biology class and as part of getting credit, we basically go on safari. So because I had had this first experience with LSD, I, um, I decided to bring some LSD with me to this trip to Tanzania. And what better place to take a hit of acid than on a safari vehicle in the middle of the Serengeti? Now, that's not necessarily the ideal set and setting, but for someone who had a little prior experience and kind of knew what I was getting into, what happened essentially with that experience is I remember being in the safari vehicle, standing up and kind of looking out at the savanna around me and seeing wildebeest and, you know, the savanna prairie and the sun beating down and lines in the distance. And when you're under the influence of, of a psychedelic, you sort of, you, a lot of your boundaries and walls drop and you feel this sense of connectedness with everything. And so when I was in that experience, you know, it more or less plugged me directly into this, you know, as cliche as it sounds, this circle of life, the circle of energy. Um, you know, how the sun beats down in the savanna and the wildebeest eat all the savanna grass. And then the lions come after the wildebeest and the lions, you know, they're at the top of the, the chain and they eventually die and their, you know, their remains go back into the earth. And it kind of like plugged me right into this, this circular way that everything moves and helped me to realize that, you know, that I was part of that. And that because I was part of that, that it made me no better than the lion and the wildebeest and the grass. But it just, in essence, as a human, I was just mm -hmm. a different form of that energy. And the reason that that was so kind of influential and impactful for me is because when you have an experience like that, where you're taken out of your ego and you're dropped into a space of complete connection um, with everything else, it just totally reframes the way that you look at the world from a more sort of dominating perspective to a much more connected, involved, grateful, in-service perspective. And because of that experience, you know, it was really like before LSD and after LSD, that more or less set me on my journey that I spent most of my 20s exploring, which was essentially what can I do to put myself in a position to continually stretch my boundaries through travel, through business, through relationships, through, you know, whatever else it might be. Um, yeah, so that's a, that I, and, you know, I think that to me is is definitely the the most impactful thing that's happened. Awesome, man. Well, I, I uh, kind of got a chuckle. I had my microphone on mute, but I really got a chuckle out of like the, uh, you know, sort of doing that in the set and setting that you're talking about, you know, on the African safari, I was like, Ooh, man, I can't imagine that would be a little 
confronting, I'm sure, at first uh, to to dive into that. And I'm sure that we'll talk about set and setting here in a minute. But was that one of the first experiences that really got you curious about engaging in the work that you do now? Because your work revolves pretty much entirely around psychedelics. You know, in some ways, it's like when I tell the narrative of my story up to this time and day and, you know, specific moment, that's definitely the one of the catalysts or one of the openings. But by no means when I had that experience, was I like, yes, right? Like, this is the professional path that I want to pursue. It was a little bit more circular than that. Really, the, the key insight or awareness that I came to from these early psychedelic experiences was really overcoming the fear of death. Because through high-dose psychedelic experiences, uh, we essentially come to realize that that death is just another journey. It's just another passing. And that for us to hold on to fear of it is it just it doesn't really serve us in any way. And, and when that fear of death is let go of, then all of a sudden, we're not as, as, as held within the, the conditioned boundaries of, of normal um, society and culture. So, you know, for most people, kids when they're 19, 20, 21, they graduate from school, they go get their MBA or they start a corporate job or, you know, they, they go volunteer for the Peace Corps or whatever else it might be. For me, you know, after I had those early experiences, I basically was asking the question of what position can I put myself in to make an impact on, on society and culture at large? And in particular, what I learned from my early psychedelic experiences is the, um, the superficial nature of most things that are driven by ego, status, achievement, money, you know, things that are really ways that we're incentivized by, by external things. And, and when you're able to reframe and be, be motivated by what's going on internally, then all of a sudden there's this deep desire to create the story of your life and to have full agency and autonomy overwriting that story and that narrative. And, you know, the decision that I made at that point in time was, you know, I wanted to put myself in a position where I could help culture and society to basically live in a much more harmonious, sustainable way than than it was at the point in time. Because, you know, my experience growing up was I just wasn't a big fan of, of the place that I grew up in. I wasn't a big fan of American culture. I wasn't a big fan of a lot of the values that that, you know, we as a Western society held. Um, mainstream values. And so I was like, well, if I want to put myself in a position to, to change, I need to be able to really do what I want. And the way that I saw the best effective solution to do that was to first travel, to explore, to, to you know, push boundaries from that direction. But then beyond even that was to, to build my own business and to start my own business. Because when you're not relying on a paycheck and you're not reliant on your own well-being for you know with someone else then you're able to really speak your truth as as much as you want so essentially what i did is i lived abroad for 5 years i started my first business within that time which was an online english school over time that business became profitable enough where i was like okay now i have enough money coming in from this other business um and now i can really come out in public and say and do what i want and that's when I started the third wave, this is about mid 2015, because I was like, well, if I'm going to build a resource, if I'm going to create and develop a business around a topic, you know, from, from my perspective, psychedelics are one of, you know, the most effective ways to change our values and to grow up in a way to become really responsible for, for our own well-being and for the well-being of our, our family and our community. And so I just thought, wow, this is a tremendous opportunity. There's clearly not a lot of websites in this space yet. And 
from an entrepreneurial perspective, you know, I was able to recognize the pattern of, okay, cannabis is becoming legal. That's a good sign. There's all this research starting to come out about psychedelics. That's a good sign. And now Tim Ferriss is publishing podcasts about psychedelics. And that's also a good sign. Um, and that's when I started the third wave. You know, it was like, if I position myself in this place now, then once psychedelics start to gain more mainstream legitimacy, I'll be in a really exciting position to, to have a, a significant say in where, you know, the story of our culture is going. Incredible, man. It's quite, uh, it's quite the journey. And I appreciate you breaking that down because it's interesting to hear how everyone sort of comes to the table when it comes to uh, psychedelics and, and some of the work uh, that, you know, people like you are doing. So, you know, today, psychedelics is a big, broad topic. And just to give some context, uh, I'm going to read off the different psychedelics that you talk about on your website, Third Wave. Uh, and just to just to give the listeners some some context, because maybe they only have heard of a couple. So you have a bunch of information on psilocybin mushrooms, LSD, ayahuasca, MDMA, DMT, 4-ACO, DMT, 5-MEO, DMT, ketamine, cannabis, iboga, peyote, San Pedro, masculine, cambo, 2C slash B, which I don't even know what that last one is. <laughs> when I was going through the list, I was like, oh, shit, I actually don't. I know everything on this list except for that last one, which was kind of funny. Um, but, you know, I think for the for the sake of today, um, I would kind of like to narrow down the field uh, and maybe we can talk about a few of them. Um, but maybe just give us a highlight of what some of the differences are between things like psychedelic mushrooms versus a DMT versus an ayahuasca versus a cannabis. And then maybe we can kind of go into things like microdosing and, and talk about appropriate doses and set and setting after that. Yeah, let's, let's do that. So for, for listeners at home, and I think that this will tie in nicely to how psychedelics will roll out um, from, you know, a business and medical and cultural perspective is usually the way that I encourage people to think about it is we're either thinking about plant medicines and plant medicines are things like ayahuasca, iboga, San Pedro, peyote, psilocybin mushrooms, or we're talking about molecules. And molecules are things like ketamine, MDMA, psilocybin, because it can be extracted from psilocybin mushrooms, 2CB, 4-ACODMT, LSD. And typically molecules, you know, they're, they're synthetic in nature. DMT would also be another molecule. So the way that most plant medicines are used is usually in a retreat setting. So ayahuasca, you know, there's a bunch of retreats down in Peru that you can go to, um, in Costa Rica and various other places. Iboga, there are retreats in Costa Rica, Gabon, Spain, you know, San Pedro, there are retreats in, in the Sacred Valley. And typically those retreats are with a group of people. You're with a trained facilitator or shaman or healer. Um, those substances have usually some historical narrative. So they've been used for sometimes hundreds, if not thousands of years within a, some sort of indigenous culture. And, you know, these, these substances are, they're plant medicine. So they are made up of various components. And to give an example, or one more note to that, Oakland, which is actually where I live now, is a city that just decriminalized all plant medicines. So that doesn't mean they're legal yet, but that does mean things like ayahuasca, iboga, psilocybin mushrooms, San Pedro, and peyote. If you're caught with them in Oakland, you know, there's like a small fine and that's it. So law enforcement is not pursuing those anymore. Now, the other substances are the molecules. And those are things like ketamine, MDMA, and uh, psilocybin. Now, molecules are the things that are going to be used within a clinical model. So in a couple years, 
actually right now you can go into clinics and you can get ketamine infusions and ketamine treatments for depression. In a couple of years, you're going to be able to go into clinics and get MDMA for PTSD with a couple of psychotherapists. Uh, you'll be able to get psilocybin, the molecule extracted from mushrooms, to treat treatment-resistant depression as well. And that whole clinical model, model that's developing is usually done within you know, a, a controlled setting. It's done with psychotherapists. Um, and the idea is uh, that it's, you know, in some places like Canada and, and, and Europe, it's covered by insurance. In the United States, it, it is a costly thing at the moment. So I think looking at it from that perspective, A, is, is really helpful to understand how these substances are going to be utilized in a more public way. Um, the other perspective to, to look at it is, um, I would say, looking at it in terms of disassociatives. So ketamine is a disassociative meaning that it just disassociates you from your body. So essentially, if you do a high enough dose of ketamine, you completely basically numb out. Um, you're, you kind of have this perspective, this observer's perspective on your ego that allows a lot of separation from it. And people have found that ketamine, because of that, is very useful at lower doses to initiate trance states, which is why a lot of people do it in clubs. But at higher doses, it's really helpful for suicidal ideation and depression. Um, so that's one type. The other type is things like MDMA. So MDMA is what, what is called an empathogen. And essentially what that means is it's a heart opener. So when you take something like MDMA, there's a sense of just really wanting to connect with other people. There's a sense of feeling very safe, very secure, very vulnerable, like you can say exactly what's on your mind. and You know, there's no problem with that. And the reason um, MDMA is being medicalized is because it's really difficult to have a bad trip with MDMA. It's not a classic psychedelic. Um, you don't have, you know, visuals or, you know, it's not like you're, you're experiencing these transpersonal realms. Typically, MDMA is much more subtle. It's much more open. And it just feels like you're really happy and lovey and, and you know, easygoing. And then the final thing beyond that is more like the classic psychedelics, like ayahuasca, psilocybin mushrooms, LSD, uh, San Pedro. And the classic psychedelics, you know, they, they can be really amazing and incredible. And they can also be super difficult and dark, depending on the type of experience that you have. Um, because what psychedelics do is they really basically enable an opening that allows things from your subconscious and your unconscious to come up. So one of the reasons that psychedelics are so useful at treating, for example, trauma is because if someone is, for example, sexually assaulted when they're young, that trauma is repressed and it's kind of stuck into the unconscious mind as a survival mechanism. And the only way to heal it is to get that trauma up, to sort of dive into the basement of your unconscious, to root up that skeleton and to, and to get it out. And this is what psychedelics help to do. In fact, some people will say that like a really good psychedelic experience is like 10 years of therapy in, in one night because it basically allows that opening so you can process all of these things that you've repressed for so long as a survival mechanism. So that's at least a little context on you know the different types of psychedelics, the usefulness of them, and, and how we could see them rolling out in the future. Awesome. I, I really appreciate you breaking that down. And I think one of the interesting parts there is all the research that's being done specifically around psychedelics, things like MDMA and psilocybin. And, uh, you know, so, some of those, some of the usages, as you kind of pointed out, is really fascinating. And the fact that the John Hopkins uh, University 
um, the other day opened up the, I think is the biggest psychedelic research center in the world, if I'm not mistaken. Where do you think that some of that can potentially lead? Like some of the movements that we're starting to see in Canada and the United States, not only around the research, but around the potential legalization, where, where do you see that going? Yeah, so there will be two main tracks that develop. One is the clinical track, and that's the track that, you know, is based in, in the research that's going on. Um, it's for people who have clinical issues like PTSD, alcoholism, addiction, depression, um, OCD, you know, various other things. And essentially what psychedelics will do once they become integrated into more mainstream psychiatric care is they'll, they'll, they'll really flip the model of psychiatric care. Um, right now, most psychiatric care is, is very reductionist. In other words, you know, the, the idea is, oh, you're depressed, you must have low serotonin, let's put you on an antidepressant, that'll increase your serotonin, and for that reason, you'll feel better. And usually that works for some people and for a certain period of time, but usually what it just does is it numbs people to what they're actually experiencing. What psychedelics do is, is they, they open you up to the fact that it's not just a biological thing, but really there's, there's a significant emotional component, which is healing trauma and adverse experiences that have happened. And oftentimes there's also a spiritual component, which is like feeling connected to something greater than ourselves. Um, so from a clinical perspective, psychedelics are going to totally reframe the paradigm of psychiatry, where instead of trying to treat the symptom psychedelics will go ahead and, and cure the root cause, which is often trauma and various types of trauma. So that's that's one thing. And we'll see basically, you know, we're in the process right now of finishing phase three trials for MDMA and, and psilocybin. Um, after phase three trials, there will basically be clinics that open up as early as 2021, where you can go in and you can get these medicines within a clinic to treat various conditions and issues. The other main way that psychedelics will, will roll out is through the decriminalization movement. So we've already seen uh, in Denver, Denver decriminalized psilocybin mushrooms. In Oakland, they decriminalized all plant medicines. California is now pushing. There's a group that's pushing to decriminalize psilocybin mushrooms in all of California on the 2020 ballot. So essentially, in parallel to the clinical track, you'll see more and more cities decriminalize psychedelics in general because they're very low risk. There's no potential for addiction. Um, they're useful as medicines to heal and treat a number of issues. And a lot of these are plants. And making nature illegal is just weird in a lot of ways. So the other movement will be more of like a gray area underground market where it's not going to be like cannabis where you can go into a dispensary and buy mushrooms. Instead, it's going to be teaching a lot of people how to grow their own mushrooms so that they can harvest them and that they can use them in small group ceremonial settings as they wish. Um, and that will be the other big movement. And, and really the key to the success of both of these things is education. And that's really what, you know, I've chosen to focus a lot of my public work on is how do you educate a populace about psychedelics that really has no context or understanding of, you know, its, its usefulness and, and potential. Um, and that's the big hurdle that still needs to be overcome and the hope is that through medicalization, you know, because doctors will prescribe these medicines to people, that that's going to be a really big way that people start to learn about it. Um, you know, there are probably going to be initiatives undertaken by certain organizations to, to educate more and more people. And the way that I've approached it is this digital marketing, meet people where they're at, you know, like if people are searching for this stuff, present it in a way that's, that's, um, that's easy to access, that's easy to understand, that's easy to digest. And, um, 
you know, like make sure that it's it's valid, make sure it's backed by science, make sure there are footnotes and, and let's get people up to date on like, this is the real thing of what's going on with psychedelics. Like these are the actual benefits. These are the actual risks. This is what you need to be aware of. These are the use cases, um, you know, answering and helping out with a lot of these questions is, is super important. Nice. And how, how do you present the benefit of psychedelics? Because I think it's one of those things where, and, and I, I asked this question because I've had a lot of people that have gone through a psychedelic experience and then sort of struggle and grapple with how they present their experience to other people. Um, even though it's been beneficial, I think a lot of people get stuck on that. So maybe let's talk what the benefits are and and how people can kind of position some of those things. <laughs> yeah, that's always a tricky one, right? Because it is still fairly stigmatized that if you know if people go ahead and say, oh yeah, I had this experience, a lot of people won't take them at face value or they'll say, oh, you were just, you know, you were just on drugs or, you know, that's not a valid experience because you were just on drugs or whatever else it might be. So I think first at the core, the benefits of psychedelics are really just like connection. It's connection to yourself. It's connection to community. It's connection to your loved ones. It's connection to nature. It's feeling that deep sense of connection. And from that connection comes presence. So as we know from things like mindfulness meditation and yoga and breath work and float tanks, as we're able to cultivate a you know, more lasting presence in our everyday life, this helps to significantly mitigate suffering and reduce suffering uh, because we're not as focused on the past and we're not as anxious about the future. So I think just like at its core, this is why psychedelics are so healing is because they can help, help us come back to a really present state where, A, we're not projecting the traumas of our past from our subconscious and unconscious to the world around us. So there is first an element of needing to heal our past and heal our story. But B, once that process has been done, then it's really about like, how can I cultivate as much presence as possible to really expand my potential as a human being? Um, and so when people have these experiences, usually, you know, the recommendations that, that are given is to embody the experience, to live the experience, to not feel like you need to grasp for you know attention to not feel like you need to sell it to someone else but to literally be like i had this experience this is what it did for me and then to live that experience so if psychedelics helped you to become a more patient person then live that experience of being a more patient person if psychedelics have helped you to really reconnect with yourself on a more consistent basis then get really into meditation and make that a consistent habit where you're consistently meditating if psychedelics have made you more aware of how connected you are to things around you then go volunteer or pick up trash or do something for the environment around you, right? Really become that sort of like embodied practice of what you've learned from it. And then as you embody those lessons and learn those lessons, then, you know, there, even if there is resistance in your family and your friend group around that, because they're able to observe and perceive this change, that will be convincing in, in itself for them to explore on their own. So I'd say that's, that's, that's to me, always rule number one. I think the other things in terms of how do we talk about these substances to other people, for me, I always lead with two things. One, look at what happened with cannabis. And I always ask people, what did you think about cannabis 10 years ago? And now what do you think about you know, cannabis? Mm -hmm. And why did you change your mind? So that usually helps it, them to frame it in terms of, oh, yeah, there was another illegal drug that everyone thought was bad and awful and terrible. And now it's clearly been used for medical purposes. And now it's being legalized. Um, for other purposes. And essentially, I say, yeah, that happened. And the same thing is going on with psychedelics right now, where psychedelics show incredible efficacy to treat PTSD, depression, alcoholism, addiction, 
you know, at major universities. They'll be used, you know, they'll be available for medical use within a couple of years. And they're really helping people to heal trauma and heal deep trauma. And I think leading with that helps people to understand the legitimacy of these substances. Um, and not even really talking about the sort of, you know, legalization or those those sort of things, because usually when people hear, oh, my God, you want to legalize acid, you know, it's, <laughs> it, it, it's a, a little bit of a headache for people to realize. Now, there are models that will work in terms of legalizing, you know, these substances. But in, in some ways, it's let, let's not put the cart before the horse. Let's first get it medicalized. Let's first continue to push at general drug policy and improving drug policy. And then once, you know, we've made significant strides with both of those, then the question about, you know, full-scale regulation will just be like, yeah, this is obviously the next thing. Nice. Nice, man. Well, thank you so much for, for laying that out. I think that's helpful for, uh, for a lot of people. Let's, let's go next into, you know, I'd, I'd love to talk a little bit about microdosing and, and how, uh, not only like why that's powerful and can be really uh, potent for some people and, you know, why all, all of Silicon Valley seems to be doing it, or at least that's the, <laughs> that's the rumor. Tell, tell us a little bit around, uh, microdosing, what it can do, what the effects are, uh, what people can expect. And then let's talk a little bit about what it looks like to actually do that. Yeah, so microdosing started to become a thing in 2011, 2012. Jim Fadiman, who was one of the OGs of the psychedelic movement in the second wave in the 1960s, um, he published this book called The Psychedelic Explorer's Guide and had a chapter in there about microdosing. And in 2015, Tim Ferriss interviewed him for his podcast. That's when everyone started to hear about microdosing because you know half of Silicon Valley listens to, to Tim Ferriss' podcast. And that's about when I picked up on it as well. And essentially, my rationale for getting into microdosing was, you know, when I'd had these early psychedelic experiences when I was 19 or 20, I, I noticed that after like a high dose LSD or psilocybin mushroom experience for like the week or two weeks after, I would feel incredible. I would feel more connected. I would be more disciplined. I would be much more present, you know, and then eventually that, that went away as, as life became more stressful and, and things happened to me. So when I heard about microdosing, I was like, well, maybe this is a way to elongate that sort of opening after a high dose experience where I then, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm more able to, to change my habits and behaviors and, and do new things. So essentially I started to microdose, you know, set the intention of, I'd really like to utilize microdosing to help with work and flow states and creativity, and also for more connection and relationships to, to be more connected with people. And it was helpful. It was super helpful in terms of, you know, both of those things. And um, so then I started just writing more and more about it and doing more things about it. And as I researched it more and more, I came to realize that, you know, there were two main reasons that people were microdosing. Reason one was for elevated states of being. So for flow states, for productivity, for creativity, to just generally have an enhanced mood, to enjoy life more. And then the other big reason a lot of people were microdosing was to help with depression and PTSD and addiction and alcoholism because a lot of the pharmaceuticals had failed people. And so they were looking at microdosing to help with that specifically. Now, the way that microdosing is different than higher doses is higher doses you have, you know, you feel the effects of the substance that you're taking. So if you eat five grams of dried psilocybin mushrooms, you're going to have an experience. It might not be the most positive one, but something's going to happen. Um, whereas with microdosing, the idea is it's a sub-perceptible dose of psychedelics. And it's not just doing it once and seeing how it feels, but it's really engaging in a microdosing protocol where you do it a couple times a week for maybe a month or two months. And you track and measure and journal like how things are developing and improving for you over that time. And 
Typically, when people microdose, they take about a tenth of a regular dose. So for LSD, that's anywhere from you know, 5 to 20 micrograms. For psilocybin mushrooms, that's anywhere from 0.1 to 0.45 grams. And they do it twice a week. And people notice, yeah, they're just like a lot of the benefits, I would say, are, are, are similar to like what people report after meditating for 30 days straight. They're more present. They're less reactive. Um, they're generally able to focus better. They're a little more creative. They're just in a better mood generally. And so microdosing is great as a catalyst to sort of start that process of, of really looking after yourself and self-care and loving yourself in a way that, that makes you go, oh, okay, I'm now becoming more and more aware of how I feel as a result of this. Well, I should probably eat a little healthier. I should probably sit down less. I should probably get to the gym a little bit more. I should probably meditate more often. I should probably tell people in my life that I love them a little bit more, try to stay connected and spend time with loved ones. It tends to have just that sort of cascading cumulative effect where we're taking better care of ourselves. And there's a developed intuition through the practice of microdosing that sort of makes it very obvious uh, what we need to do. And for every person, that's different. But the, the, the core component to that is, is self-care and self-love. Yeah, I think that's such a valuable piece. I know for myself, um, when I've done microdosing, specifically with psilocybin, that the results have They've, it's been really interesting because I think what you just outlined there is that rather than seeking the meditation, uh, so not meditation, the motivation that we need in order to really actively pursue something, you know, like our goals and the relationship that we want, and the health and the fitness and the, the joy that we really want to experience in life, rather than us being fixated on the motivation that we need in order to go get those things or do those things, we become more aware that we should just take action on those things. And I found for myself that rather than needing the motivation or trying to find the motivation, I was just actively starting to do those things more because like you're saying, they're, they're much more top of mind, much more conscious about it. And the shame that normally comes around with, oh, I'm not working out as much as I want, or oh, I'm not spending as much time with my family or you know, telling them how much I love them or those other things, um, the, the shame kind of gets processed in a way, and we understand it from a different lens, and it allows us to take action. Um, is that has that roughly been your experience, or the or the people that have that you've known that have done microdosing? Yeah, there's like less judgment, right? Less judgment of yourself, and through less judgment of yourself, there's less judgment of others. Um, you know, I really like this this quote. I think it's a Ram Dass quote, which essentially says something along the lines of. You know, oftentimes when we look at a person, we start to analyze, oh, they should change this, or they should change this, or they should change this. Or sometimes when we look at ourselves, we're always like, but when we look at a tree, we just go, wow, that's beautiful. And a tree is what it is. And I feel like what microdosing and psychedelics help us to do is to help us to come back to that place in our own life where we can just accept where we're at, accept where people in our life at, our life are at, and then basically feel this sort of agency and oh, okay now that i have an awareness of where i'm at and where these other people are at now i can do something about it and not doing something in that that sort of doing something about it isn't coming from a place of lack isn't coming from isn't coming from a place of i'm not good enough instead it's only coming from a place of wanting to get better it's coming from a growth mindset it's coming from a, i'm really happy with where i am now and i'm very content but it also plan to live a long life. And I'd like to continue to go deeper and deeper into the exploration of what life means for me. 
And so that that lack of judgment, that lack of self-judgment basically minimizes resistance. And I think that's what I noticed with microdosing is, you know, when we sit down to 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 write a post for Medium or when I sat was sat down to write out business strategy or when I you know, was, was with a friend, oftentimes the thing that prevents us from really dropping in is this sort of ego mind, is this sort of voice in the back of our head that tells us that we're not good enough, that tells us that, you know, we, we're not really asking the right questions, that tells us whatever else bullshit, you know, that, that it might be telling us. And what microdosing did is it just sort of softens that, it quiets it a little bit so that you can just really drop in, you can tune in with that intuition, with that place in, in your heart that you need to check in with, and then you can create and express from that place without the sort of clogginess of, 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 of the ego and of that judgment and shame that often rears its head. And what I've noticed is it's a process as well. You know, I've, I, when I first started microdosing, it was, went really well for two years. And then I moved to New York and, you know, basically as a result of moving to New York and things got very stressful and I wasn't sleeping as much and my self-care dropped significantly, I became depressed again. So it's also, and, and now I've sort of got back out, out of that. I live in Oakland now. I'm taking much better care of myself. You know, I meditate consistently, you know, spend time outside. But I think that's also something to emphasize with microdosing is microdosing just makes you in some ways more aware of what you need. And it certainly can help with the sort of agency aspect of taking more, essentially taking responsibility for your own well-being in every way, shape, and form. But microdosing is really about 5%. You know, if people are really looking at real self-care, the 95% is sleep, diet, and exercise. And if you've locked in those three, then microdosing is like a nice touch. Or if you're looking to become more aware of how do I build new habits so I can eat better? How do I build new habits so I can go to the gym more often? Then microdosing oftentimes is a great catalyst to sort of get you up out of that rut and then get you on your journey so you can start to integrate and build those new habits around, around self-care and self-love. Yeah, I love that. I love that you, you know, kind of outlined the benefit of it and, and just where it, where it fits in, but it's not the sort of like savior. <laughs> it's not the fix all or the cure all. You know, and I think with, that's an important, that's an important thing, Connor, as well, because a lot of people, especially as they hear more about psychedelics, you know, they see it as a sort of panacea. Mm. Even if I do a high dose of mushrooms, oh, all my problems will be fixed. Mm -hmm. Psychedelics don't really fix any problems. All psychedelics do is make you more aware of your own problems. Mm -hmm. It's ultimately up to you to then actually do something about it. So I think that's also an important element of, of psychedelic use is the opening is there. The, 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 the opening for change and transformation presents itself, but it's still up to you as the individual, uh, you know, whether or not you really want to go into that and make that change. Yeah, and I think that's important because I think, you know, a lot of people sort of uh, start experimenting with cannabis to reduce things like anxiety and stress and, and whatnot. And it can feel initially like it's sort of solving this big problem for them. Um, but then they change nothing in their life. And, and eventually that that problem bubbles back back up to the surface. And so I love that you sort of touched on that. Just out of curiosity, can you break down for the listeners and myself, the difference of microdosing, you know, things like LSD versus psilocybin and what, like what people can experience uh, in, in those, in those different places and, and why you would use one versus the other. So LSD and psilocybin mushrooms are, are very, very similar. I think that's an important starting point. You know, they're both serotonergic largely. They're both classic psychedelics. Um, they're both active on the same receptors, you know, in our serotonergic system, the 5-HT2A receptor. 
the way that they're different, there are a few ways that they're different. Psilocybin is about a six hour thing. So in terms of its activity, if you will, in, in the body, it only is about six hours, whereas LSD is for 12 hours. So typically, you know, a lot of people who are looking at microdosing might have low level anxiety. If you have anxiety, definitely don't microdose in LSD. Um, because microdosing with LSD could worsen that anxiety. Psilocybin mushrooms are probably a a better bet for that. Um, The other general thing that I picked up on in talking with people is everyone's experience is different with LSD versus psilocybin mushrooms. I've talked with some people who are like, yeah, psilocybin mushrooms help me with my cognitive abilities much more. You know, I'm much more alert and on point. And then with LSD, I'm like in my body and my heart opens. And I'm like, and for me, it's the exact opposite, right? It's like psilocybin is a very emotional experience. It's a very felt experience. It's a very like somatic thing that I get. Whereas with LSD, it's much more cognitive. You know, so oftentimes when I needed to do more cognitive work, when I was writing or I was coming up with business strategy or I was trying to brainstorm for something, I would take a microdose or a mini dose of LSD to help facilitate that process. When I was, for example, going to therapy, I would take a microdose of psilocybin mushrooms because it would help me more with feeling my emotions and feeling my body and feeling somatically what was going on. So that's usually how I differentiate the the two substances in terms of their, their potential usefulness. But again, it's it's really a case by case basis. Um, everyone is it's different. Uh, I think the key indicator to to point to is LSD lasts for twelve hours. So if you have insomnia or anxiety, probably don't microdose with LSD. Psilocybin lasts for about six hours, so it's just a bit less intense. Wonderful, thank you. What have you? Let's kind of shift gears because I think you know you've done a good job of laying out what microdosing is and and a little bit about how to do it and you know the benefits that it can that it can yield. Let's shift a little bit to uh, to higher doses of of things like LSD and psilocybin, and and maybe even sort of explore the the DMT and the ayahuasca realm. Can you just sort of describe, first and foremost, I think, you know, a lot of people out there that are curious about this um, don't even know where to start. And I, I've heard so many people that have these like horror stories of you know doing a whole bunch of mushrooms at a party and then having a really bad trip, you know, not having a good experience and then being like, oh, I never want to do mushrooms again. Uh, and and unfortunately, they were just doing it in the wrong set and setting. So can you can you just speak a little bit? to what higher, higher doses are and how important that environmental piece is? Yeah, so the best way to think about psychedelics are, you know, psychedelics are really nonspecific amplifiers. So in other words, you know, when you come into an experience, especially with higher doses, whatever is sort of lurking under the surface is going to be amplified so that what was previously maybe unconscious or even subconscious will all of a sudden enter the conscious mind. So it's really important to think of it from that perspective, that if you're digging into the psyche in this way, that you want to do it in a context, in an environment that feels safe and that feels secure. Otherwise, it could lead to in, you know, a not so great experience. And, and so that's how the, the term set and setting was, was coined is because set is your mindset before you go in. Do you feel present? Do you feel grounded? Do you feel clean and clear? Do you feel like you're ready to surrender to what you're going through? And then your setting is the environment that you're doing. It, you know, like going and doing a bunch of mushrooms after being out at a party till 5 a.m. is a terrible idea because it will likely not go so well. Even for most people, going and doing mushrooms at a Grateful Dead show for the first time, you know, probably not a good idea because this, the setting isn't is an ideal. Um, usually an ideal setting is a place that you're comfortable with, a place that you know well. Um, that could be your apartment or your house. It could be, you know, 
a place in nature that you that you know and that you've enjoyed and to basically you know have someone there who can sit for you who can be there who can help guide you through that experience if necessary who has previous experience with psychedelics and can just hold space for you and be there in case anything comes up um i think those are the most important sort of um things to think about when doing a high dose of psychedelics the other thing to think about is you know there's no reason to just jump in the deep end right away so when i first started doing you know psychedelics lsd back when i was 19 i started with one tab of acid i feel like the most acid i've ever done is maybe three tabs of lsd so not a significant amount and that's usually the recommendation that you know we talk about on the third wave it's like if you're going to do psychedelics for this first time approach it like you would when you learn how to swim when you learn how to swim, you first went in the shallow end, you put your swimmies on, you know, you had a swim instructor, you kind of learn how to paddle around the water, you felt what, what that was like. Doing that is like going into a float tank, right? You can drop in, you can be with yourself, you actually have, you know, this total sensory deprivation, you're just in there with your psyche and no distraction. Then maybe you're in the shallow end, you take off your swimming as you're going around the shallow end, you can still touch the bottom, but you can swim and you can feel it. That's like going into a microdose or a mini dose. You're slightly altering your consciousness. You know, things are starting to change a little bit, but you're still pretty much in control. It's comfortable. You kind of know where you're at. It's not too big of a, a risk or a challenge. And then once you feel comfortable there, you go in the deep end. You can't touch the deep end. You're swimming around. It's a little scary. You're worried what might happen. That's kind of like a high dose of a psychedelic. You know, and when you're out there for the first time, you want someone to catch you in case you you start to, to kind of paddle and, and, and drown. You want someone to be there to support you. So if you think of psychedelic use from that, you know, metaphorical perspective, then the there's really no reason to just like take six grams of dried mushrooms right away because you don't know what's going to come up if you've never been in that space before. And that could be potentially more traumatic than helpful. Instead, what's better to do is first become a little more familiar with altered states through a float tank, then maybe start to do a little, you know, little doses of psychedelics. And then once that feels good, then do a higher dose of a psychedelic. Yeah, so I think that's a that's a good place to start. I could also go into the specifics of like substance by substance basis, but I feel like, you know, at least having a little bit of context of how to start there is, is, is useful. Yeah, no, I think I think that's great. It's a great place to start. And I'm curious for from your perspective, and I think maybe I'll just ask the question that I've had a lot of uh, listeners and um, I, you know, I recently went down to Rhythmia and I've been sharing some of my experiences with psychedelics and along along the way and people have a ton of questions but one of the biggest ones is you know what can go wrong right like what's the what's the worst thing that could happen i think people's brains oftentimes go to fear first and foremost and so how do you describe to people and and sort of address some of their concerns around doing psych psychedelics i think one it's this is just like basic education one it's important to know that these are the safest substances that we have available. They're safer than alcohol. They're safer than tobacco. They're safer than, you know, cannabis even. You know, psilocybin mushrooms are the safest drug that we have available to us. So I think just starting from that baseline is, is really good to know. I think the other thing is just like preparing people ad adequately because when people go into psychedelic experiences for the first time, they could potentially go through some sort of death. You know, many people who go into high doses of psychedelics, they freak out because they feel like they're dying. And they worry and they get concerned. And that's where a lot of them, the fear comes from. And really what's happening is that's just the final point of resistance that your ego is putting up until it can really, until you can really drop into who you really are and not just this sort of ego construct that you've had about who you are 
um, that's, that's existed for most of your life. So oftentimes when people go into these psychedelic experiences for the first time, it is some sort of ego death or ego dissolution process where they're having to confront themselves and look at themselves for the first time, potentially ever. And that's a very scary experience because like I mentioned before, a lot of people have trauma. We all have trauma to some degree. Some people it's worse than others. And we often repress trauma as a survival mechanism in childhood and adolescence. And so now, you know, as adults, we have an ability through psychedelics to, again, open up the unconscious basement and start to process that trauma. And so oftentimes that's where the quote unquote bad trip can come in. That's where the quote unquote difficult experience can come in. When you actually come face to face with the truth of what has happened to you and what impact that has had and why it's made you the way you are. And that's very difficult to confront because what it forces people to do is it forces people to take full responsibility because once you confront that and once you have that realization, then you realize it's fully up to you to do something about it. Mm. And, and, and that's where either it's kind of like that's the make or break. That's where the rubber hits the road. It's once you have that awareness, once you have that realization, what do you do with it? Do you hide from it? You just say, oh, no, I, I, I didn't see that. I didn't experience that. I'm never doing that again. Or do you say, okay, I accept that as part of who I am. I accept that that has happened to me. And now as an adult, I'm in a position to basically change that, to write a new story and to heal that part of my life so that I can fully live in the present moment from this point forward. So I think that's a really good way to think of the risks is really the riskiest thing about psychedelics is the fact that you're enlarging your your level of self-awareness. Your level of self-awareness is becoming greater and greater. And that's both on the positive side. You're becoming more aware of joy and happiness and the, and the beauty of who you are. And that's also on the shadow side of things. You're becoming more and more aware of you know, how you've treated people. You're becoming more and more aware of where you've wronged people. You become more and more aware of what has happened to you that you may be repressed. And being able to fully go, and again, this comes back to what we were talking about with microdosing, being able to go into that space from a non-judgmental perspective and from an acceptance, a surrender perspective is what is so, so key in ensuring that that's a healing and transformative experience. Nice. Nice. I love it. And in terms of where people should start, I'm just being conscious of time here, uh, in, in terms of where yeah. people should start, um, which, you know, which one do you recommend that they start to experiment with if they're curious? Because there are a ton that, you know, are starting to come forward, things like ayahuasca are becoming very popular and, you know, doing DMT or, or, or whatnot. So where do you recommend that people start? So a couple of weeks ago, I read this really good piece on Medium by Tucker Max. Do you know who Tucker Max is? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I hope they serve beer in hell, best-selling author. Yeah. So he's recently gotten into psychedelics and has written publicly about it on his Medium page about psychedelic therapy. Um, and he wrote a recent post basically explaining this, which I think would be really good to include in the show notes, where essentially he said, start with MDMA, then go to psilocybin, and then do like something more intense like ayahuasca. And the reason for that is because MDMA is basically the, the metaphor that he uses a lotus flower, right? So for a lotus flower to grow and, and bloom and become beautiful, first it has to have really good soil. And the soil has to be really well kept and well nourished. And that, that's our soul, right? And so with MDMA, we really get into healing trauma. We really get into healing our past. And that's laying the really good soil and groundwork for the lotus flower. Then once that trauma has been healed, then it's time to plant the seed, right? And that's the psilocybin. 
right? And that psilocybin is what opens our psyche to be able to then go into our unconscious and subconscious and start to heal some of these, you know, things that have happened and to, to work with them and to understand them and to integrate them in an appropriate way. And that's when the lotus flower starts to grow. And then ayahuasca is the blooming of the lotus flower. Ayahuasca is what can bring you into these tremendous states of awe and wonder and majesty. And just like you're at the feet of God and you're like, oh my God, this is, this is just fucking unbelievable. And if the point that Tucker Max makes in that piece is if you try to, for example, skip the MDMA, skip healing your trauma and just go right for the ayahuasca, then that can often lead to something called spiritual bypassing where essentially you you basically hop over certain things. And so when you're in these expanded states and you're kind of up, you're, you're continuing to project your own trauma and your own shit that's happened onto the world around you. And so that's why it's so, so key that before we go into these really, really significantly altered states, do things like ayahuasca, we first heal this deep trauma that most of us mm. have inside. So good, man. Yeah, that's, that's such a great piece of advice. And I love the way that uh, Tucker lays that out because I think that's that's a pretty powerful experience and I think you know from the stories that I've heard from people that have that have sort of gone through this journey and experimented with psychedelics sort of taking out that pathway of creating some resistance or some resiliency to it and and sort of taking uh, baby steps and getting into the the shallow end of the pool first um, is is always powerful uh, so Look, I really appreciate the work that you're doing. I wish I wish I had like another hour to kind of dive into dive in a whole bunch of I have like so many other questions. So maybe I'll have to have, have you back on the show. Uh, but just for right now, where where can people find out more about you and, and your work? So best place to go is the thirdwave.co. Um, that's the main website. Um, there's plenty of educational resources on there. We also have a microdosing course if people are interested in microdosing and really taking it to the next level. Um, I also started a retreat center in the Netherlands called Synthesis. So people are actually doing this in a legal setting with guides and facilitators. Uh, that website is synthesisretreat.com. And then, um, you know, every now and then I post on socials, Paul Austin 3W, that's both on Instagram and Twitter. And I'm on there if people want to just reach out and say hi and, and connect with me. Incredible. Incredible. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show today. I'm definitely going to have you back on in the new year. And uh, for everyone that's out there listening, if you're curious, we'll have the links uh, to Paul in the show notes. Don't forget to share with someone that has been curious about this conversation or that you know would enjoy it. Uh, and don't forget to head on over to whatever platform you're listening to us on and leave a rating and review. It goes a long way to getting us into the ears and onto the phones of other people. So until next week, this is Connor Beaton signing off. Join me next week for another inspiring conversation with another inspiring individual. 